0: You're listening to It's a Beautiful Influence with Allison and Krista. What the? No,
1: I didn't cuss. I just said something you wouldn't like to hear.
0: Welcome to the podcast where we encourage you to live boldly, speak freely, and take action. Hey, today we are so excited to interview one of my absolute favorite people on social media, period. Brian Fanzo, fans. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm
1: excited to be here. I'm glad we were able to make it work. You know, when I was in Arizona, it would have been a little bit easier, but now I'm on the yeah. East Coast. But <laughs> yeah. uh, let, yeah, glad we were able really re- to make
0: it happen. Yeah, I don't know. You know, if Allison knows this even, but Brian actually uh, lived in Arizona for a long time. He's, really? Uh, were all three of your girls born all, here? Or, all yeah. three daughters
1: were born in Arizona. So yeah. Yeah, I and mean, he
0: has a lot of family I out be, here. Be, so he comes out a lot.
1: I <laughs> do eight <laughs> years. I'll be there, I'll be there at the end of the month. I'm speaking in Scottsdale for the end of the month the end of February. So I'll have to, uh, I'll have to hit you guys up. I'll let you guys know. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Definitely. I will always find a way to come see you if I can, because it's uh, always fun to catch up. But so anyway, so yeah, so Brian, I met Brian on social media forever ago and um, we have a lot of mutual friends online and in real life now too, it seems. Um, And I'm just so thankful. I have been following a story for a long time. If you don't follow Brian, I'm going to tell you right now, at the beginning of the episode. I social fans, f-a-n-z at all the platforms because you want to check out his content um so i think we'll just get into the interview so our audience can really start to learn about you and your story so can you tell us a little bit about what your success story kind of why did you do what you do and how did you get here
1: yeah, so it's I, you know, I think everyone has a unique story. Uh, mine definitely is, falls in that category. Random, you know, I, not, I wouldn't say random. Uh, now looking back, all of the decisions I made uh, make a whole bunch of sense. But um, you know, I was a computer science major in college out here in Virginia. Uh, couldn't get a job in computer science. Ended up working for UPS, delivering packages, making really good money, wearing the short brown shorts. I was gonna <laughs> my life, running in and out of houses. Um, and I went union with them, Uh, but I kind of had this itch. I knew that like the money was good, the job was good, but I wanted to get into IT. Um, Random was in line buying milk um, at a grocery store. And uh, I had a conversation with someone that said, you know, they asked me, do I know anything about cybersecurity? And interestingly enough, this is the first lesson is answer honestly. Um, I said, no. And he's like, do you know what a vulnerability is? I was like, no. And he's like, do you know what remediation is? I was like, no. And he's like, so the good news is I don't have to unteach you anything. The bad news <laughs> is you've got a lot to learn. He's like, but if you can get a security clearance, um, I would love to bring you on as an entry level help desk person. I can tell you, it was a $50,000 pay, $50, pay decrease mm. from UPS to taking this entry level job. But for me, it was one of those things you kind of just had to do. It was like, I was like, it was a no brainer. Um, so I, t- I took the overnight shift, um, I was working on a help desk. And six months in, I like to say, this is the, where everything really um, took another big jump for me. Um, we were running a help desk for US government like cybersecurity tools. And we were just troubleshooting these tools that were being deployed. And the, 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 my my boss came in and said, uh, one of our trainers came in and didn't give a two weeks notice, just decided to quit. And we have a course that needs to be taught in Korea on Monday. Who here is wanting to go to Korea? And this is Friday. Um, and I'm living in D.C. at the time, uh, and I threw my hand up first. Two other people <laughs> put their hand up, mine went up first. And he's like, do you have a passport? I was like, I don't. I was like, I've been to the Caribbean on cruise ships, but like, I don't have a passport. He's like, well, we're going to have to get you a same-day passport. He's like, are you confident that you could teach these the military this course that you've been troubleshooting? I was like, I'm not confident I can do it today, but by the time I land in Korea on Monday, I can promise you I'll be confident. Um, and Long story of that is I went all day Saturday, had to sit in DC for a same day passport, which was miserable, like longest day. I went home and packed, got on a 13-hour flight to Korea. I studied, I downloaded every video. I I studied every manual you could ever imagine. Um, I landed in Korea. I had to take a high-speed train down south. I'd never been in Korea, never been out of the country. Um, And I ended up teaching this course to the active duty military that were there, um, you know in uh, Korea they were US uh, stationed there and on the flight back and this is this will put perspective of the timing um, I had a blackberry so this is before <laughs> iPhone. um I turned on my blackberry uh, in when I landed in Atlanta on my layover and I had an email from the government lead and to my boss and pretty much said hey this was one of the best courses we've ever had delivered we'd be willing to add four more classes a month if you're willing to give Brian the course. Um, now for me, I can tell you, I was, I was still entry level help desk, I was six months in. Um, the person that had quit was like, not only four tiers above me, but like he was above my boss, above that world. And um, thankfully I had an amazing boss that thought his goal was to um, support and make the people that worked for him better and prom- you know promote them. And um, I went in and they made me a crazy offer. Uh, more than I was thinking at UPS and six blocks, which is kind of funny how that works. Um, and I took over the training team. And for the next seven years, we ran a training team that I grew to a team of 32 employees. Um, we ran a, uh, over a $9 million a year budget. We turned it into four courses a week, every single week around the world. Um, I traveled in that seven years to uh, 54 countries, three trips to Iraq, two to Afghanistan. Um, all focused on teaching this solution, this, train, this cyber tool. And then my team, what my team did was they would teach it. And then my job was to, to understand what we were trying to deploy. And then brief the, the military members, the ranking members, the generals, the commanders, as well as the government leaders on what we were doing, how it worked. And I will tell you, at that moment, I didn't realize it was a set. I it was, and, I, and this is what I, I say I do now, I translate the geek speak between two different yeah. worlds, right? The yeah. I, I help the managers and the leaders understand what they need to know, and then I help those that want to be left alone, right? The people on my team were like, "Give me a Mountain Dew, let me play World of Warcraft, and do not bother me, right? I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to speak in front, I don't want to go to meetings," and that ended up becoming my job. And I can tell you, that's my career today. Uh, and I grew the team. We had um, some amazing. Times a lots of travel, uh, but you know, like my job was to get the Army to share cybersecurity policies with the Navy. I can tell <laughs> you, not the easiest job <laughs> in the world. Um, and it was—I I absolutely loved, uh, you know, supporting the military. I'm not uh, prior military. Ninety-nine percent of the people working for my company were ex-military. I was the one percent. Um, I had the highest civilian security clearance you could get. But I also, you know, at my nine-year mark, I had got promoted. And I got a uh, kind of, I had an epiphany that, you know, I loved what I was doing and who I was working with, but I didn't love working for the government. Um, they, they were, we were deploying tools that were four years old. Um, wow. if, if someone was not really good at their job in the government, they got promoted out of the way. I don't, I don't really work that way. And <laughs> and so I, I made this decision. We were going through the uh, contract changes in our government uh, company and I decided to leave. I decided to give up my clearance. I decided to give up cybersecurity. Um, I was in Arizona at the time, and I had kind of a little bit of a a lull where my clearance was still held up and I needed a job, so I ended up playing semi-professional poker for a little (laughs) while there in Scottsdale, Arizona. Traveled to Las Vegas, Germany, Marical to play poker um, in this kind of weird in-between. And then I um, just kind of realized that, you know, if I wanna do what I wanna do, I'm, I'm gonna go make it happen. And my dream job since I left college was what I called a technology evangelist. Uh, if you're familiar with you know, Apple and Steve Jobs' story, uh, Guy Kawasaki was the Apple evangelist. He's responsible for creating the, the cult that is around Mac. And when no one liked Apple, he kind of rallied these, these teams. And, and so I uh, applied to a couple of jobs with that job in mind. Um, every one of them said, no, uh, you're crazy, you're not going to get that job from the outside, like your cybersecurity government. Um, but I did find a, a company, a data center company in Phoenix that wanted to hire me as a training lead and the agreement we made, cause they were like, well, we would hire you, but like you're overqualified and this isn't going to challenge you. You're just going to leave. And I was like, well, let's just make an agreement that if I deliver, like I say, I can, you allow me to have the dream job that I want inside the company. Um, we said we would agree that, you know, in six months or so, um, we would make that happen. Uh, even shorter than that, we came back and decided, you know what, let's make it happen. And I got to work there for two years at this booming startup. We were hiring 12 new hires a week. Uh, we went from 250 employees to 614 employees, and it was everything about a startup that you can imagine. We went to like open offices and we had food truck Friday and we, and we were changing the culture and we did a lot of bad stuff. We like, we eliminated email company-wide for three months to drive collaboration tools (laughs) that just pissed off everyone sales numbers dropped and then we realized you have to do things differently and then um, January 10th um, of 2014 uh, the company uh, was getting purchased by CenturyLink and they didn't really understand what an evangelist was they didn't figure like you don't have KPIs you don't have sales you're not marketing you report to the CEO like what no and uh, they pretty much said, "This is your last day." Uh, <laughs> thankfully for me, the CEO, which the smartest guy I've ever met to this day, George Slesman, um, he's who's still involved in the data center business. Uh, he kind of gave me my first client. He was like, "He was like, I'll let you do some marketing stuff and, and work with um, some of the clients that I work with to kind of get your feet wet." Because I just had my daughter, um, and now fast forward uh, a little over five years, uh, I went. I thought I wanted to create an agency. Realized I hated agency life. Yeah. Uh, i realized that really quickly yeah. um, i'm just not that I, I struggle with not over delivering if i say i'm gonna do something i do it um i'm not good at like nurturing something giving you 80 percent and it's not anything against agencies it's more of my personality yeah. um and i did a lot of influencer work i uh, i traveled at one point to over 70 events uh in 2016 as an influencer um highlighting you know ibm Dell, samsung sap the super bowl south by southwest um barcelona and during that time i kind of uh, started to speak more and i realized uh my dream job was kind of in front of me this entire time Uh, i spoke when i was at the government i spoke to the joint chiefs of staff when i worked at the data center i was the face of the company i spoke at amazon events at gartner events Um, but i never really knew speaking was a career and i didn't really understand that whole thing and um, thankfully for me, I, I just, just kind of the way that I work, I was like, well, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to pivot that direction and go all in. And so at the end of 2016, I decided to be a full-time uh, keynote speaker. And uh, I call myself you know, a digital futurist is what I label myself now is where I kind of fall into. But um, that's my crazy unique path. Uh, I can tell you the common theme for me that I didn't realize was, you know, it's not about marketing or social media. It's not about technology or innovation it's not about cybersecurity. for me it's about you know the, the synergy between innovation and creativity in the world that we're living in and the human condition collaboration and community and being able to kind of connect those dots uh, i talk a lot about technology i host a podcast called fomo fans which stands for <laughs> the fear of missing out but at the same time i don't believe technology can fix people problems i focus a lot on, on you know vulnerability authenticity transparency and it's funny because the things that made me a really good UPS driver um, <laughs> right out of college and all of the union members that were older than me and younger than me really connected with all the same things that I'm leveraging now you know as a keynote speaker and so I think that's kind of to me that's the lesson of it all is I had no idea where I was going but the, the path now looking back was pretty much clear as day
0: I know, and I, I I love your story for so many reasons. <laughs> One of which it just shows people, especially people who are like at the beginning of their path, that yeah, you had no idea where you're going, but look at where right. you are now. You along the way, you figured it out and you found your dream job. Um, and but I also love like the that's my maybe my favorite part of your story is that hey, can you go to Korea on Monday and teach us? You're like, by the time I land, I can. Like being willing to take that risk and put yourself out there, right? Yeah. I mean Yeah.
1: And I can tell you, it was um it was scary. I, when I landed in Korea and I'm teaching this course, I was not cybersecurity proficient, um, but there was also this element, you know, and it goes into this as well. Like I remember, uh, you know, taking this high-speed train and I got out and I'm kind of one of those people, you know, press the damn button. I just kind of just go and I kind of you know, figured out, as I, you know, I asked for forgiveness on permission in a lot of cases, uh, but the one of the bad, those pieces was that when I started the, teaching that course, I remember I walked up in front everyone is in full uniform these are you know our soldiers overseas and i said this is my first time teaching this i found out friday and i was as <laughs> vulnerable in front of you know gunny sergeants and the marines and the army and all of these people that sacrificed their lives people that i respected and i remember that lunchtime time on those four day course Lunchtime on day one i was good to go i realized like this idea of they were okay with me figuring out and owning that because I owned it too. Right. And, and it's right. And like little things like that that kind of tie it together. And then the other thing that you said right there that I just wanted to hit is that for me, I've heard it for since I was in college that you have to have a niche to be successful. And if you look at all those different things that I did multiple times, I, I would think I had a niche. It was collaboration. It was SharePoint advisor. It was, um, trainer. It was, but every time I tried to niche down, it wasn't me. And what I, what I like to say on that topic is that if you have a niche, if, if there's something that you love and if you do it so well and it's very niched out, own it, double down on it, love it. But if you do not, if you are much more like me, and still to this day, one of the struggles I have in business is that people are like, well, what do you talk about and in what industries? I'm like, everyone. And like, you're not allowed to do that. I'm like, watch me. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of my lessons is that if I would have niched, I would have stayed in cyber. I would have stayed in training. Yeah. Would have stayed at the data center. Would have stayed at a marketing agency. But yeah. because I didn't, because I allowed a lot of that, to you know, raised my hand, I just kind of went for it. It allowed me to discover this role that I have now. And I will tell you, I will, I will be speaking as a full-time speaker until uh, you know, probably until I die. I, I <laughs> love, I absolutely love this. I love the, the the balance and the opportunity that I get. But I would have never got here if I would have. Listen to everyone that mandated that you have to have a niche to be successful.
0: And I right. love that you brought that up because that's probably one of my favorite podcast episodes ever of yours is when you talk about that because I've struggled forever with trying to have a niche. And we were just right before just we started this, this, we just this. had a talk because we're trying to figure out what our our business of like, should we niche down more? How do we do that? Because we both, we both do a lot of things. So I, I, I yeah. love encouraging people who are multi-passionate that it's okay if you're multi-passionate
1: yeah it no, is. It is. And, I, and i can also say that on that note like on that like and to answer like your point the thing that i figured out was that i didn't niche down but i didn't do a very good job for three years these most recent three years of making it simple for people to explain what i do or yeah. who i am right like saying i'm a keynote speaker a millennial keynote speaker yeah, doesn't really work i called myself a change evangelist didn't really fit in any of the industry recently through Research and ask, asking people that have hired me, di- the digital futurist title was a light bulb moment for me. And so I'm. It's interesting. The, the advice I would give on the idea of like, should I niche down? Where should I? Is rather than thinking should I niche down, think how can we simply describe what we do or the problems that we solve, and then you don't have to niche down because technically that is making what you do a niche. And then you can kind of throw that at all the different places. But I can tell you, I didn't learn that, with, like, that. And I knew that. I remember that you loved that podcast. I can tell you coming from someone like you with your background and, you know, uh, someone that is a professor and someone that, you know, is really in the weeds, that meant a lot to me because it was a topic that I wanted to talk about, but it's also against the norm. I mean, every, every stage I go on, yeah. riches are in the niches and it's, yeah. <laughs> and I right afterwards, I'm like, who here doesn't have a niche? And I like, I'm like, I like, I like debunk it. And I remember you saying that. But I will tell you when I did that podcast, I hadn't figured out how to truly scale without having a niche. And my answer now is make it simple for someone to describe or talk
0: about who you are and what you do. And that's and I love okay. that you said that because I've I've heard that from other people too, and whether or not they're talking about a niche or not. But it's the whole point is yeah, is it do people know what you do and how easy is it to describe it? So mm-hmm. I love that. And so we obviously know that you are a huge believer in personal branding. <laughs> and I think kind of just in telling your story, you've kind of illustrated how a personal brand can, can help you. But can you talk a little bit more specifically, like in the last few years, how that has just blown up your business and what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so if you notice the theme and all that stuff I talked about, uh, nowhere did I talk about a job in marketing or a job in social media or uh, going to school. Um, I fell in love with community. I fell in love with telling my story. Uh, The thing, you know, for me, everything changed uh, in a personal branding perspective on November 2nd, 2013. Um, And I was working at the data center at the time. Um, I I had a social media um, presence, mostly to talk about Pittsburgh sports and poker (laughs) That's kind of what I love to talk about on social media Um, was, you know, as a fan, I I use Twitter a lot for that, but I, that was what I looked at it as. And uh, I remember it was, it was actually a phone call from my mom and I'm a mama's boy. And my mom, you know, I think I posted on Facebook, something like, um, you know, I thought working for the government was frustrating working for a company that wants to go public takes the cake. Uh, Not sure I could ever figure out how to be myself. And I was wearing like my backwards hat and I had my shoes and I'm standing in front of, my job that I was working at. And my mom called me and she was like, Brian, I understand, you know, things are a little bit different on your um, at your company. She's like, but I'm just curious, like the thing that's made you successful in high school, the reason that, you know, you, you played hockey, you, you were on the baseball team, but you were also in the computer science and in fraternity in college, and no one was in those the same, she, she was like, the, the thing that you've always done well is you were unapologetically yourself. And I remember because I was, didn't want to tell my mom that she was right and she knew me better because i mean come on now. i was like i was like okay that's uh 2013 seven years ago so i was 31 I'm like i was like yeah mom i'm myself online like, yeah, of course i am uh, and then i got off the phone and i remember thinking wow social media stresses me out because i want to i want to share what everyone else wants what i think they want to hear right. i want to put on the persona that i want people to think of me as yet when they meet me the things that they love about me are not anything i was doing in that, in that space. And on that day, I, I took a Sharpie and I wrote on my mirror, uh, be yourself in, in yeah. big letters. And don't do it in a Sharpie, by the way. Very really hard to get off of a mirror. Um, but that day I made a commitment that I was gonna um, be more vulnerable, be more transparent, uh, push limits on conversations online, uh, wear my hat on stages, uh, not be afraid that when t- someone tells me someone that looks like me can't get on a big stage and yet now i've been on 15 of fortune 25 uh companies uh biggest stages in the world um and that day everything changed and i can tell you i when i hear the word personal brand because i wasn't i'm not a marketer or i wasn't in marketing at the time i if you would have told me in 2013 i need a bit of a personal brand i'm like i'm not marketing if you would have told me i need to create content i'm like i'm not a creator they're like well you need to put to tell stories i was like i love to tell stories but I'm a, i don't want to talk about myself i don't want to like what the like to me i like that's how i felt and so for a lot of people that probably are listening to this you feel like that today yeah. and that's the reason i share that is because i've now done four thousand live videos since that day i've uh, hosted myself a little over 400 podcasts i've done over 600 uh uh 600 interviews of others myself through google hangouts facebook live and um and else and so when someone sees that like oh brian you've always been a creator always a storyteller always into branding and and understand that I was not. And and the cool thing about it was, the more vulnerable I got, the more I put myself out there, the more I connected with people, the more I stood out. I didn't have to be Gary Vaynerchuk, I I got to be myself. And I was a huge fan of Gary. But when I look back at that early 2013, 2014, I was trying to do exactly like Gary. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, why doesn't anyone notice me? And I was like, well, I'm the exhaust of Gary Vaynerchuk. Which yeah. who wants to be the exhaust of someone else? <laughs> and right. and for me, it's you know, like I, I wasn't good on video, but I did Google Hangouts. And then all of a sudden uh, Periscope and Meerkat came out and blab that these mobile videos and I, I dove in and I was I became one of the most popular people on creators on those platforms and people were like, Well, that's because you were always good on video, you're always a storyteller. I'm like, nope, not at all. But it was because I was, I slowly gradually started getting used to putting myself out there. But I can tell you that The two lessons that I think of uh, when it comes to personal branding that I wish I kind of knew at the beginning, and it's what I preach, what's what I coach people on today, is the first one is you need to start telling your story today. And the place that you need to start telling your story is probably not where you think. The place you need to start telling your story is where you individually are most comfortable, not where your audience is. You will hear lots of gurus, people will be like, you need to find your audience and start telling your story where they are. Well, telling your story is weird and awkward and difficult, <laughs> and it's strange, and you're like, who wants to know about this on me? And then you get feedback, and then you have imposter syndrome, and there's all these things that go on.
0: Mm-hmm. If you
1: start where you're not comfortable, you will you will quit immediately. You'll just stop yeah. because you're like, hey, this is not me. But if you start where you're comfortable, for me, it was Google Hangouts. And the reason Google Hangouts was comfortable is because I didn't have to... I didn't have to have a talking head with my phone. I didn't have to control the conversation. I just interviewed people and then I got used to being on video. I got used to asking questions. I got used to integrating my story in there, but if I would have waited and said, I'm going to start on YouTube, start on podcasts, start on mobile video, I would, to this day, I would have never got started. And so that's the, the first piece of advice is start where you're most comfortable. And if video is the thing every year is the year of video. If you're scared of video, the best way to get started on that is don't put video public. I want you to FaceTime with your family five times this week. I want you to do, webin- do uh, video calls with your team and those you work with. Get used to seeing holding the camera, getting used to seeing yourself, get used to seeing yourself talk with your hands. You'll realize that you hold your phone too low and you can see up your nose. Like all the people <laughs> that, that go on it in that world. But I, I, that's where press the damn button came from, right? It's don't, don't tell me that you want to tell your story. Don't tell me that you're researching where you're waiting till you buy equipment all of those things are excuses and crutches, and you're doing a disservice by not putting yourself out there. And the second one is from a personal branding is consistency. Consistency is the, it, it's the easiest thing for all of us to do, yet it's the thing the majority of us suck at and we don't yeah. do. Like <laughs> right right. I'm going to fully admit it's, it's <laughs> the number one struggle for me, yep. and it's the number one focus for me this year. And my podcast, when I started my podcast, everyone said you have to release it on a certain day at a certain time. I was like, well, that's not gonna happen because I don't. Need that. <laughs> so I told people on episode zero, I was like, I can promise you'll have an episode every week, but I have no idea what day of the week it's gonna come out. Right? I wanted to manage expectations, but I can I can assure you, if I was more consistent with it, the success rate would have been even higher as I gone. So the thing I think I've learned all over time is that consistency. It's not about hey, I would do something every day. When I say consistent, some people are like, why don't I post on social media every day? And I was like. Well, I didn't say, consistent. I didn't say post every day, I said consistency. Or when I say consistency, they're like, well, I, I get you something every week. No, if every month is your, the variable that you are comfortable with. Every month's fine. Be consistent with that deliverable because it's so noisy, there's so many things. People need to know when you're showing up for them to show up. Yeah, and right. that consistency is the secret. And it's, it's hilarious to me, the amount of talented, great, amazing storytellers and creators and people in the social media world that if they could just do one thing and that's be consistent it would change their trajectory of their career yet you know consistency does also require a lot of commitment process and planning and many of us aren't good at that but those are the two things your personal branding you know it changed my life my i, I was able to discover my people i've been i was able to find myself i was diagnosed adhd um, when i was 31 uh, sharing that openly allowed me to better understand who I was as a person, allowed me to connect with others that have that same struggle that I have. It allows me to have conversations with my daughters now that I would not have been enabled to if it wasn't for social media. Um, I owe it all for social media. But at the same time, whenever I started, I was not a social media person. I was not a content person. And so um, it's something to be said there that I believe we all have a story to tell. It's just a matter of putting it out there and well, pressing the damn button.
0: Yeah, and that's I love that um, you know because I've I met you in real life and you that's one of the reasons why you're one of my favorite people on social media is because you are exactly who you are in real life online and vice versa, um, and I love that you're not you're not afraid to show the vulnerability. That is that that's why people connect with you. That's why people want to follow you. Want to when they, when you say do this, they want to do it because they they feel like they trust you now, um, and so that that's a power and I'm, we always talk about the, the those two things like you gotta just start like I tell people all the time FaceTime right. somebody just get used to seeing yourself on camera and then yeah the the uh, consistency that's the hardest part for everybody to do but if you can figure out how to be consistent mm-hmm. that's gonna do it so. absolutely and then you have three sayings you said the other one be yourself I love that obviously like other people can say that but you really I mean you've made it a thing that people connect to you Yeah, the damn
1: you know, on that be yourself piece is that you don't have to be as transparent. Like many people that are listening to this are probably like, "Did you just say admit he had ADHD? Like I'm not admitting what I, what medicine I take or what, and, and I'm okay with that. Like I always say yeah. like transparency doesn't guarantee trust. Transparency provides an authentic window to decide if you are trustworthy. Like if you yeah. are a very bad person and you're transparent, we just get to decide you're bad. Yeah. Really, bad. <laughs> right. like, that's really right. what it does. Right? right. And so like be yourself to me it's so funny for me people like brian i believe in that that mantra and i see what you're doing i just can't do that and i'm like do you understand the word be yourself like i want you to decide what is what is worth putting online and i can tell you you would ask me five years ago if i would talk about adhd in front of you know 20,000 people at an ibm event that i did last year um, i would have said you were crazy but what i've it, it's kind of like those baby steps and i learned what kind of resonates with people but be yourself the, the, the epitome of that is and it's, you know, for me, I've been writing a lot more about it. It's much more, it's, you know, it's self-awareness at its most core, right? Yeah. Know what works for you. Like even in your, even in your business, like I, I left corporate, I worked for an enterprise company, worked for a startup and then I went and worked for myself. And I realized that I was still applying those old structures to working for myself. Got up, got up in the morning, worked nine to five, finished what I was doing. And then I started doing being self-aware and realizing, Brian's a night owl, Brian <laughs> hates the morning. Brian, like, and I started, and I hate talking for a person, that's weird. Um, and I, but I was like, all of a sudden like, I started, and I can tell you, I started uh, putting a time lapse in my office and I would go back at night and watch the time lapse and be like, what was I doing there? Why was I doing that? I was like, wow, I'm not really productive between these hours. Wow, I don't, I'm much better here and I adjusted my schedule. I worked. I mean, last night I worked well into 2 a.m. This morning, um, but I also didn't wake up till 9 a.m. This morning, right? And like, and and I, and I think the, that's where be yourself has enabled me the most. Is that it? By doing that, it now allows me to be the, my true self in everywhere, right? Like putting yourself out there is one thing, but if you don't set up the rest of your life to live that kind of like a, the way that what makes you the most successful all of that other stuff is still really, really hard. And I think that, that is a struggle for many people.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And so yeah, be yourself. I think that's a message clearly comes across, press the damn button. Um, I'm gonna switch gears just a little bit and I yeah. wanna talk about a severely underrated platform that continues to be one of your favorite platforms to this day. <laughs> Could you talk about why you love Twitter so much? Oh, I love Twitter. Oh my goodness, <laughs> it's, it's, it's to me, and Twitter's gone
1: through it's phases. You know, I wrote. I've written three blog posts. I went back and looked. I've written three blog posts, in three different years since two thousand eleven. I've written three blog posts. All three of them were why I need to be the CEO of Twitter. Like three different <laughs> times, I believed I knew how to make Twitter more successful than Jack Dorsey and the people I've created. Now I can tell you my arrogance. Um, it was also a little bit tongue in cheek. But you know, for me, part of the beauty of social media is we have the ability to find our people and reach the world i grew yeah. up in pittsburgh pennsylvania uh, we moved to virginia uh, when i was in uh, high school but like my exposure to the world in pittsburgh was pittsburgh and virginia beach because that's where i went on vacation the only yeah. people i knew were those people right uh but all of a sudden the social media world i have three daughters my 10 year old daughter is able to skype with me with one of my business partners that's in australia and understands what veggie might be Right. I can space time with the world. I have active daily conversations with a really close friend of mine in Dubai. We interact as if we live next door. The interesting thing about saying that is I use the word social media, right? Social media allows us to do that. Right. But I will I will use this, and this is the gurus, the those that have been in social media for a long time, they don't want to talk about it from this angle and, and it ties into Twitter. Is that when you post on Facebook page or your own personal, who sees that, right? Your, the people that have already liked your page, right? People that already liked you. When you post on LinkedIn, when you post on Instagram, yes, you can go into search and discover you're looking for something or someone. When you post on Instagram, a percentage of the people that are already following you see your content. But on Twitter, the real-time conversation element of Twitter is about active conversations, and so, People are searching hashtags, jumping into conversations with people they follow, people they don't follow, and so the reason I love Twitter—to put it like—I call it—it's the unfiltered fire hose, uh, (laughs) real-time community. Unfiltered fire hose, a real-time community. Lots of people are overwhelmed by it. I don't blame you. My ADHD works really well there because it's like so much going on. It kind of forces me to, to zoom in. But Twitter allows me allows people to discover me and my message that don't know me, don't like me, never heard of me, aren't even sure who, where I came from, right? Yeah. They, they clicked on a hashtag. I was in a chat. Posting on Facebook, for me to feel that, I need to have an ad. But then I need an ad. I need to know my audience. And the, the thing about this is that this is the most underrated piece of Twitter is that Twitter people discover me and my community has grown. And so one of the things that I've worked hard on for the longest time was that I didn't wanna b- build a following on a social network. I wanted to build a community mm-hmm. of people that would follow me no matter where I go. Because yes. mm-hmm. I've heard it for years. Fine, Brian, what happens if Twitter goes away, what would you do? And I was like, well, it would stink, because I wouldn't know where to get real-time conversation. It <laughs> might make our president go back and do his job, and I spend so much time tweeting. Um, <laughs> I, I digress on that. Um, but for me, that Twitter is, it's the enabler for people discovering you outside of your tribe. Yeah. and we, we hear this all the time like brian i can't grow my following brian my facebook page my pinterest my instagram my linkedin here's the thing all of those could benefit if you're active on twitter yeah it's, 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 so, it's so crazy and i will say 2018 was a resurgence for twitter twitter yep. made some changes the 280 characters was massive um shrinking the links so yeah. that you can do that quote retweets are amazing they're trending topics i mean yeah. i learned I, I mean this is crazy i don't as much as I'm in marketing I don't I haven't visited a website to read a blog in four years <laughs> um, right. I go to Twitter and I read the trends yeah. and I open up another app called Flipboard which yep. dynamically pulls in all the content into an app for me those are my two sources So, let's go, like I'm I'm engaging ever I'm active on every platform I don't tell everybody to do that I do that so I can help my clients decide which is best don't right. you know, don't don't follow exactly what i'm doing (laughs) Uh, i posted twice on tiktok today and i I was like that's not my advice for any of my clients at the moment (laughs) but the piece of that that i wanted to share on twitter on that is that i mean the most powerful relationships that i've had every one of them i believe it it would be very hard for me to find a relationship in social media that was super strong that didn't start with twitter or someone tagged me on a Facebook post and I went and followed someone on Twitter. I'm
0: pretty and sure I found you because of Twitter.
1: <laughs> I, I believe you did as well. I think, I think that's, you know, and, and it's, it's the beauty. And I know it's overwhelming, but like I said, the last two years, like if you, if you were on Twitter and you're like, Meh, if you haven't checked it back out in the last 16 months, 12 months, I definitely recommend checking out. And my advice is follow more people than you think you should. Yep. And then you do on any other platform yeah, because it's a real-time feed and, and people get always like, Brian, my feed sucks or it's full of crap. And I'm like, well, you follow the wrong people, so just yeah. unfollow. Yeah. And then follow more people that are more people that are active. But yes, I love, uh, I think brands should be on Twitter, personal brands should be on Twitter. Uh, it's a great place to test out concepts, conversations. You want real-time feedback. Um, I can also tell you, I, I've got two of my largest contracts ever engaging a CEO, and I didn't tag the CEO, I mentioned a brand, the brand replied, the CEO jumped in the conversation. We had a conversation. He said, sent me a DM. I'm gonna connect with you on LinkedIn. We had a connection. I signed a six finger deal with them. Two different companies, two different ways. Wow. Both of those were born on Twitter. So uh, I know it sounded a little fluffy in some of my Twitter love, but uh, I can tell you- uh, the Yeah, that,
0: that's serious dollars right there. That's a yeah. good testament to the power of Twitter. And I, I agree. Like, I, I need to get back on Twitter more, but I have made some amazing connections, things to Twitter that I would never have made otherwise, um, either discovering people or the ability to, to reach out and connect with people. So um, um, I, I just feel like Twitter just doesn't get talked, we both know, it doesn't get talked about enough. So that's why I, I knew you're a great person. <laughs> you're a Twitter evangelist. <laughs> I am. I am, and I, and I love
1: it. And, and most of the people that talk about Twitter have to give the lessons of Twitter. And I, and I will say, I've said this directly to the CEO of Twitter um, when I was in a, a town forum. The, word, Twitter, the thing that Twitter sucks more than anything else is they suck at marketing themselves, yeah. education, right? Like the educating of how to use Twitter for value has still this many years struggled. And so it's unfortunate, the only time you read a blog about Twitter is like the basics, like hashtags and search. Um, but like the, the, the underlying value is there, but it is one of those platforms too. I will tell you, if you're not spending time there, you will not get value. It is, yeah. it is like I, you can be less active on Instagram be really good with your content. Be really good at engaging when someone comes back to you, and not have to spend a lot of time there, um, which I think is beautiful. I love Instagram for that. Um, Twitter is not that way, right? Like yeah. Twitter is is a very real-time fire hose of conversation. But if you're willing to invest the time, uh, I I can guarantee. Um, that you'll find value. And if, if you're listening to this and you're doubting me, send me a tweet at isocialfans, tell me your industry or the, the people that you would love to, like, to look into. And I will send you a list of people to follow because I'm, I'm that bullish on, on Twitter being just a, a powerful
0: platform. That's awesome. I love that. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Um, and then obviously you've had influence over different people at different stages of your life based on all the different things you've done. But can you talk a little bit about, like, what, what does influence mean to you? Or how can you explain that to somebody who doesn't really know what influence is? So
1: I've had, I've had the, the beautiful journey of being, uh, in 2014, I was given an award by The Economist. Uh, I, was, I was given, the, the award was called uh, Top 25 uh, Social Business Leaders of the Future. And that award changed a lot for me. Uh, I didn't know how I got it. I didn't know how even people discovered me. Um, It allowed me to go to these TED Talks, uh, travel around, start working with some brands. And it got me my first influencer gigs with IBM and Dell and Samsung and SAP. I then, as I, you know, for two years, uh, grew as an influencer, as uh, not only from like doing everything for free and then kind of trying to monetize afterwards to getting paid I then started to work with brands and consult with them um, from the outside as an influencer strategy content. I then was on board with multiple brands as an advisor, as a board member, um, hiring uh, influencers and um, kind of looking at influence from that level. And the thing that I guess I would say of this is that influence in its whole has been around since the beginning of sales and marketing yeah. and the origin of time. Yeah. We, we trust people that look like us that we can relate to. We, we would much rather someone that is in our ecosystem that we already, maybe we just met them yesterday, but if we met them yesterday and a brand or a billboard or a website or an ad serves us up something today, and it has two different advice, we would much rather go with a person that we met yesterday just based on that connection. It, it happened before the internet. It happens with the internet. Now the difference is that our influence now can be monitored, managed, in many cases, it can be tracked <laughs> with data, yeah. um, but it can also be it can also be fraudulent. And for a lot of people, when they started under, working with influencers, they didn't understand what success looked like. Therefore, they would take anything, and that's where we got right. followers and vanity metrics and yeah. stupid things like total projected impressions. I remember for <laughs> months, that was a report that I had to make. What were my total projected impressions? Yeah. I called it my billboard report. <laughs> it's like a billboard <laughs> on the side of the road. Yeah. Well, the projected number of cars that drove by are this, and I'm like, how many? How many eyeballs? They're like, well, the average person has 1.2 people in their car.
0: <laughs> I was like,
1: wait, and that's really how influencer marketing started out, and it, yeah. that's what, you know, And celebrity endorsements have been around for forever, right? Like, um, you know, I was watching um something on uh, Hugh Hefner, um, the story of Hugh Hefner, the documentary on that side. And how important it was for Hugh Hefner to get the magazine placed in people's that were business-looking professionals as he was launching his. And I was like, holy! He literally just created influencer marketing. Like, yep. he, was, he was. He and he was doing it dark, right? He was going individually to people and being like, "Would you be okay?" And and so interestingly enough for me, influencer marketing gets has has its own weird. You know, influencers. Help. I love the term. I own it. I'm I'm perfectly happy with it because I believe influence. What influence truly is is it the level of trust that you have with your existing audience. Yes. And when a brand wants to work with an influencer, what they're saying is they believe that your trust is greater than their trust with that audience. And they would like to partner with you so that they can piggyback on your trust to connect with the people that already trust you. And it's pretty amazing if you think about it, because You're as like a it. brand, I want to reach this audience and they don't know who I am. You can spend months, years trying to get in front of them. Or you can go to the people that are already trusted by them mm-hmm. and work with them, right? Now, the key to that is, as an influencer, you have the greatest responsibility in the world because working with the wrong brand, jeopardizing your trust, doing things that are outside of what that trust was built on, will make you exposed and lose your trust in minutes. We saw it with the fire yep. Festival. We saw it lots yep. of things. And so unfortunately there's no school for influence there's no (laughs) even the the courses that i've helped advise from the outside that are influencer courses they eventually get to a point where like here's how you grow your following here's how you hack the hashtags they it just gets to that point it's very hard but i look at influence is that if you can build a trusted community of 40 people that don't even have to wait for you to say jump When you tell people, I'm thinking about jumping, they're already jumping for you because that (laughs) is so strong. Yeah. That is where influence, that's where brands are looking. We hear this term micro influencer, nano influencer, which is just marketers continuing to try to figure out a way to make make it more confusing for the average person, I think. Yeah. But what that really means is that we realize that celebrity endorsement is great. If you want word of mouth that everyone just knows what your brand is, cool. But I say this all the time. A celebrity telling me what soda, what car, what thing to buy my kids will never, in, never, you know, influence me to make a purchasing decision. Now yes. it might influence me to follow that brand on Instagram. It yes. might influence me to be like, "Ooh, who's that?" and Google their name. And that's yes. that's value, and that's why they get the money they get. But when I look at influence and influencers and how we move forward, the difference between those two are that when I pull it's beautiful for me now. I'm very blessed. I I started building my community in 2013. It is a long game, right? And I've had, (laughs) um, but it's beautiful for me because when I start, when I find a new tool or something that all of a sudden I start using, I get so excited to share it because I know everyone in my audience is gonna try it out.
0: Yeah. And
1: people are like, well, it's because Brian, you share a lot of things. No, no, they're wrong. I test a lot of things. I share very few things. The things that i use the things that i work and the true testament to me in influence is that when i put hashtag sponsored hashtag ad on a post i get more engagement than the ones that don't contain it wow I to ask people why and they're like brian you give content to us you engage with us you give us so much when we realize you're getting paid for something we want to support that. and if you think about it you're like I do that all the time, like without like consciously thinking about it. Yeah, Oh, you know? mm-hmm. that's yep. a link or oh, I'll click on that. And it is isn't a matter of like we want to support those that are already supporting us. Yep. And so that's why I look at influence. It's it's an extension of trust. It's not going away. In the the more innovation we have, the more digital channels we have, the more important it's gonna be. But I will say, how we how we track an influencer, how we manage an influencer, will continue to evolve. I think my mission, and and I don't really still to this day understand how I can truly help the most, but like, it's up to us as an influencer. Like, you must turn down deals that don't make sense. You must be transparent. If you're working with a brand, like I posted in in one of my my biggest speaker mastermind groups that has changed my life on Facebook today, and I was posting about um, social listening tools and the fact that I found this video that Oracle, the brand Oracle, had produced for me. They didn't tag me on on YouTube. And they put it online like um, a month ago, a month and a half ago. And thankfully for the social listening algorithm, and I still can't figure out exactly what it picked up in the video, but this tool served up. (laughs) Hey Brian, this video is you. My name isn't even mentioned in the title or the byline. It must have been put in a tag or something. And I looked at it and I'm with the CEO and VP, and I've been currently negotiating with, with that brand to do a lot of work with them. I didn't know that the video existed. And the reason I tell that story is that this tool that I love found that for me. I downloaded it. I edited it. I put it out. It's all over my social media today and I'm using it to close this deal. And I posted it to my group of like loyal, you know, speaker group. It's this really tight group. And I said, guys, we have to invest in social listening. It's extremely important. I was like, I don't care if you're using Google alerts or wherever it is. Social listening is the number one thing we should be doing. And I was like, And I I just love my favorite tool was Buzzsumo. And that's why I said in the the thing. And as I went to type it, I was like, oh, you know what? And I put in parentheses, guys, I'm not gonna provide an affiliate link. I have no affiliation directly with the company, but I did receive the software for free. And I put that out there and I got nine or 10 messages that people said they read to the tool and then they started to roll their eyes thinking, oh God, here's someone that's gonna promote the tool that they're advising. And the (laughs) second I added that, it it added validity to me recommending it. And they're like, Brian, I'm gonna sign up for a demo to get that tool. And I guess that to me is the epitome of influence, right? It is, you have to own that level of trust and transparency, sometimes to a fault. And I know that there are lots of influencers that don't do that and they're still Mm -hmm. successful, but they're gonna be exposed The fitness. It's happening in the fitness industry massively right now which yes. i think fitness industry may be the best at influencer marketing but they're also going through a weird time right now where you know i, I read an article where actually it was a reddit, a, a reddit uh thread where like the same fitness influencer uh decided had promoted out the same protein or uh, four different brands protein shakes on four different channels in the same week calling it the best protein shake it
0: ever Oh had. no. Uh.
1: And this is one that I mean I'm talking 17 million followers um, on social Not not even like a um and to me it's it the times are coming. And the cool thing is consumers are demanding transparency now. Yeah. We like, for me as an influencer, I was like, I'm just gonna be transparent. It's gonna make it, my job a lot easier, my life right. a lot easier. But the consumer's finally doing it. And so I think I think if influence is the most beautiful part of every marketing and it's it is, it's the amount of trust that someone has in you and if um if that's if you know if that's probably the best advice you could get if you want to be successful online and be successful in this space start figuring out how to build deeper and stronger trust and the rest falls in place
0: yeah, yeah. love that agree completely in fact i love that so much i'm probably going to edit this clip out and use it <laughs> for my social media classes for my students to hear because oh, I love you explained influencer, like, influence and influencer marketing, like, so beautifully, right? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was really good. Um, and, you know, Allison, I don't know if you know this, but she actually is a fitness influencer herself. That's why, that's why I threw it in there. I, didn't I know. was like, you're so right. And she's you're always so like, right. oh, my gosh, there's all these fakes. Like, it's so frustrating. And she turns down brands all the time because she will not mm-hmm. promote stuff that she doesn't actually use. Like, mm-hmm. And I'll give you doing,
1: uh You do a great job. Um, when I see your content, you are very authentic, right? From a from a Thank fitness you. perspective, it's a lot of it is, I want to be like them, like your audience, like, I want to be like them. And we put someone on a pedestal. As a speaker, I have that same thing, right? Like, we're literally on a pedestal because they put us on a stage. And there's, <laughs> so there's a, there's a disconnect. And you know, as someone working out, someone wanting to be inspired, it's great to see that person as someone to look up to, but it's also great to remember that they're like us and they struggle with some of the same things.
0: Exactly. And I've
1: seen content that you've put out that, that is exciting to hear, right? I think that's it's a lesson that you should you know own and tell the world because I think there's also there's a beauty in this space that you know the fitness and you know, like the fitness influencers you're like I, Brooke Entz, the the CrossFit uh, yeah. CrossFitter Brooke Entz. I bought yeah. 15 things from her uh, line, maybe 20 things from her line. Um, I, the shoes I wear on stage are, are shoe, they're the Brooke Entz trainers from No Bull. Um, uh-huh. Those were and it was it wasn't because she was. An all-American CrossFitter. It wasn't because of her body. And trust me, I don't do crossfit and I could never have abs, you know, <laughs> I like too much, and I don't have the work ethic. But it was a video that she did where she was without makeup and not felt did not feel like going to the gym that morning. And she forgave herself and decided not to go to the gym. And I remember being like, holy and that moment. I mean, i literally bought I mean easily. She has a couple thousand dollars of, of product that she sold for me, not from all the glamour, but, and I, you do a really good job of that. So I, I wanted to you know, highlight that because I think- Thank I think you. In the fitness space, it's easy to say like that this is the, because fitness is very influential and it's very transactional. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like every other influence space that people want to relate with a person that they trust. And you're- right. really-
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I think this uh, is a perfect ending to this amazing interview, um, just because what it is called the podcast is it's a beautiful influence. So ended it on the perfect note. Um, and thank you so much, Brian, I, I really appreciate taking the time. And I know, like, I, we're going to like be sharing clips of this for like, you know, for months and months, probably on our social media, just because there's so many nuggets. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and we will put your handle on information, obviously in the show notes, but you're so easy to find isocial fans uh, the letter i social f-a-n-z on every platform possible pick your favorite one and i probably yeah i know you're everywhere <laughs> don't like you said don't don't uh, don't follow him in that it's very hard no. to keep that up <laughs> but as a consumer or somebody who wants to engage with you it's great because they can find you wherever they they like to be so mm-hmm. yeah i always say find, find your
1: favorite platform whatever your favorite platform and if you give me a follow there. You know, I appreciate it. I reply to every single message on every platform. Um, I don't have a team, you know, that, that posts or replies for me. That's all of it's me. Um, and funny enough, Chris and Saul, I reply to Instagram DMs before I reply to emails. It's just yep. the kind of world that I, that I live in. But I, I love being on the show. I love, you know, you know the teacher-student, ex-student uh, dynamic as well. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I said this before we probably started recording, you know, I didn't, when I went to college, it was before I was diagnosed ADHD and I struggled. Uh, I, I had perfect attendance in high school, uh, but my junior year had a 1.8 GPA. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out how to, to learn, but I loved the world that I was in. I went to computer science in college. Uh, I was a hockey player and a fraternity member, struggled through college a lot. It wasn't until I was diagnosed ADHD at 31, but I can tell you, there's, there, I've been very blessed to meet some professors now in multiple different uh, arenas that I would have killed to have right mm-hmm. and that's why i think i told you this last time we talked i would i'll do anything you ask anytime because it's it's kind of my way of giving back because i know it takes a lot of extra work and i'm working outside of hours and all these things that kind of get involved but uh, you do a great job of keeping it real bringing in people from the outside and i truly do believe and I, I think it's a testament in the in the podcast that you know you're setting people up to be successful in this world not just letting them go through uh, you know the education process and then start on their own which is Kind of how I feel like I I set up. So anytime you need anything, uh, the the invite is open
0: always. Thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words and always appreciate yeah your support. You you've been wonderful. I definitely got to get you to talk into another class again soon too. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for being on the show today. We look yes. forward to uh, sharing this out to the world and getting as many people to hear your message as possible as always. And uh, have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening to It's a Beautiful Influence. Did you like this episode? Please share it out and tag us when you do. Also, have you subscribed yet or left us a rating or review? We would so appreciate if you did. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode and connect with us on Instagram at creating the letter U online. Make it a fabulous day.